Welcome to the Zealous Podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Snyder, and this week I've got Ian Jeffries on as my guest. He is the NSCA president-elect. He will continue that title through the remainder of the year and on into 2024 before he takes over the title of NSCA president from the existing person right now. And now we're going to jump into a whole bunch of things, including his path to getting to be an SCA president, his background in rugby, speed development, and a whole bunch more. So I hope you enjoy the show. Thank How are you, my friend? I'm very well. How are you? I'm well, although I wish I had a, a haircut like yours. It's, oh, it's quite nice. It's a, it's a little harsh, probably. I, I only got <laughs> it a couple of days ago. I only get... Do you know when you're so busy, you can only get there every now and again. So you kind of go for the harsh one and then it lasts a little while. <laughs> I imagine you are quite busy. It's, yeah, considering everything should be dying down a little bit. It's uh, It's been rather busy of late, quite a bit of traveling. So I got a little bit more and then I've got a little gap before another hectic spell just end of end of november early december and is that because of your your, your coaching or what is it that uh, fills up your calendar most of all it's it you know it's mainly education these days um i'm actually not doing a massive amount of coaching anymore um it's one it's one of those you need to be consistently at a place to be able to to coach effectively so I've, I've kind of eased that down the last few years and got more into coach education than anything else oh wonderful so now coaching the coaches more or less yes you know especially with my kind of game speed workshops that i'm i'm fortunate enough to be doing around the world those those seem quite popular and just keep me sufficiently busy it's not something i'm marketing heavily or you know, looking to do, but have enough requests at the moment just to keep to keep them uh, ticking over. And is it very rug low. rugby centered or multi sport? No, they're multi they're multi sport. They're, it's one of these workshops I can make um, sport specific should I need to, but generally um, they they're generic. They're looking at concepts and general methods which people can then take in in a sport specific manner it's it's looking at the underpinning the underpinning uh -huh. movements that sure surprisingly are common across multiple sports beautiful so the the concepts of coaching the the underlying concepts yes. and not the specificity yeah absolutely yes brilliant well, I thought, I don't know if you've ever listened to this particular podcast, and I won't be offended if you say no, but uh, I just don't, 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 don't be offended simply because I don't tend to listen to podcasts <laughs> at all. Nor do um, I. Do you know, so it's, it's probably a sign of age, I would guess. Uh, a generational gap maybe yeah i, I don't quite too many quite possibly yes so i i apologize in advance that i'm kind of not au fait with uh formats and uh you know how they should run and so on no. so if i go completely off script well that's that's the whole purpose of uh, of this at least is for us to just have an organic conversation have one topic perhaps overflow into another it gives me insight and uh, a learning experience for me. So I just ask questions that I'm curious about. And, and it turns out that people are of the same mind and they're wondering the same thing often. So and we just go with that. That works for me. That works really. for me. So just officially now, you are the NSCA president. Not yet. I am the president-elect. When does... When so do, my official... do you have to go to the White House or something and there's a parade? How does that work? It's not quite as grand as that. Um, <laughs> but no, it, it at the conference next year, I think it's at the at the awards banquet that they have on the Friday evening. That's where there's a, a kind of a formal handing over from Brent Alba, who's the current president to my to myself. But one thing that the NSEA have done 
which is infinitely sensible over the past few years, is to have this president-elect position. So I think years ago, and now I don't know exactly when it changed, but years ago you used to kind of take over immediately. You were elected on that Friday and you took over that Friday evening, which meant that you had this kind of limbo time where, mm -hmm. right, what's happening? What's going on? What are the priorities? What, what do I need to know? And it meant that you probably spent six months or so just getting up to speed, which in a three-year term is is quite a significant amount of time lost. So what they brought in then was this president-elect situation where they brought the election forward a year, which meant that the incoming president now has uh, a year to get themselves up to speed so that really they can hit the road running um, in in July next year. And ironically, I've just come back from Colorado Springs where we had our board inauguration, uh, kind of just to show how the organization works and so on. So it was nice to spend some time with the other incoming board members and to get an idea of the size of the NSEA and, and all the, the various working mechanisms that we don't often see when we just turn up at a conference. Yeah, I got to say that the Colorado Springs and the headquarters is, is gorgeous. Uh, just right there at the at, at the bottom of the mountains. And of course, you got NORAD off in the distance. I'm sure they pointed that out and all that. But the, the facility itself, the layout, it was wonderful. Now, with the, the board members, are they going through the same process as the president-elect? They, they actually take over immediately. Uh -huh. So this was the first time I think we, we, we tried to get a a time where everybody was available. And as you can imagine, from July through um, with vacations and various work commitments, this was the time that everybody could make. And they welcomed me with some fun, not just a great welcome uh, personally, but some fantastic weather as well. Mm. Um, I think, I believe it was unseasonably pretty warm in Colorado Springs this past, this past week or so which for a man from Wales is uh, always very much appreciated. So let's talk a little bit about that. The man from Wales. You, you grew up in Wales. What, what town in Wales? I'm from a very small town called Brecon in mid Wales. So and very growing few up, people have heard of it. Growing you, up, you growing up in the same area, actually in a, in, in a, um, I spent my childhood in a, in a village, an even smaller village, about nine miles from Brecon. And I've pretty much lived here all my life and absolutely love it. Uh, that's wonderful. Now, obviously, you got into sports and, and you've been very much into rugby. Uh, what, what, what sparked your interest in that? And, and how did that spark turn into an inferno of what, oh, what has gosh. been? I, I think... Whether there was a, a time where it became an inferno, um, my parents would probably say it was an inferno from day one. Um, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was very lucky. My dad used to play top-class rugby. So we were always from a sporting family. So, so my memories of childhood are playing sports formally and, and just as important, I think, informally. Um, if there was anything... I, I would probably try it. So I, you know, I can remember spending my summers uh, days playing rugby, football, cricket, tennis, track and field. And little did I know that I was probably doing this multi-sampling that is is recommended now. But it was just what we did, I guess, at at those times. So I. I it wasn't a huge amount of formal sports. It was probably 11 or 12 before I got into formal sports and teams and so on. We played a little bit of school um, sports and I loved them all. So I was, I was fortunate. I played what we call county level football, cricket, rugby, track, and then made a decision at 16 where it, it yeah, you probably have to start specialising that rugby was probably the game I was a little bit better at. Is it, and do you think it's because of of body type and size? I mean, we've looked at that over the course of strength conditioning uh, research and so on. Like for myself, I, I stand just above Hobbit level 
and and for that uh, same level as me i think (laughs) (laughs) most most of those uh that you just described would be sports like for myself it was more individual whether it be gymnastics or wrestling uh it just so happened that yeah i have that that strength level in the gym setting that I really excelled when it came to, to weightlifting for my size. So is that why you went with rugby? Partly because Um, size? Potentially. I, I, I think I just had this, I wouldn't say I was exceptionally fast and that's always knowing that I could get faster has probably been one of those things that's driven me. For, for so many years but I had I think a level of athleticism and uh, you know an ability to just beat somebody um, that lent itself to rugby probably more than other sports I would guess and I, I think being brought up in a family where rugby was almost a religion that also kind of shaped the way in, in in which my my sports career went well rugby is slow to the states here in terms of popularity but it's gaining traction it's it's definitely is not nearly as much as say football or or soccer however you'd like to term it but definitely it's on its way especially with the advent of the sevens what do you think about the sevens oh the sevens was was probably my favorite form of of rugby but we didn't play it a lot um why is that uh sevens was was very much a start of season and an end of season event so 15s has always been dominant and and it still is dominant but uh there were always these ends of uh, end of season sevens tournaments where you could you could travel and that was really what what allowed me to exploit probably my more natural strengths, because I'm not I'm not the biggest uh, person there was, but I liked space and obviously on being played on the same size pitch with seven players rather than fifteen players, there's quite clearly a lot more space, and brutal in terms of the fitness requirements sevens because it's 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 so anaerobic in terms of the number of repeat sprints that you need to be able to do mm-hmm. uh there's no hiding place in it but it just allows the expression of skills that i that i love and i the advent of it into the olympics is is changing rugby what, what's I've, I've been uh fortunate to travel around the world and see how countries that perhaps wouldn't be able to compete at 15s level it's much easier to to quickly uh develop sufficient capacities to be able to compete at sevens level interesting i hadn't thought of it like that what so just in your timeline there came a point where perhaps the athlete became the coach or the trainer when did that occur for you? And oh, was it primarily in rugby or was it across it, the spectrum for all sports that you started training? Because um, rugby at the, at the top level was for many, many years amateur. It was, it was the same as track and field. So you played kind of top level rugby, but you had to have a job. So my job was a school teacher. Uh-huh. Which meant that you were naturally coaching multiple sports so the coach has always been in there i guess mm. it's you know so the, the differential between player and coach was never as clear as it is now where you have your playing career you you, you can become professional in the rugby whereas for me i was a teacher by day on the weekend and in the evenings i was a rugby player so, and how how much of your teaching background and your education within being an educator carries over into the the coaching aspect? Is that partly oh, what, massive, what you teach? Massively, massively. It it uh, it's it's a very interesting thing with 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 strength and conditioning. And I'm not not saying that anything is necessarily better. It's just different. If you look okay. back at a lot of the older strength and conditioning coaches 
quite a few come from an educational background. Mm -hmm. And I just think they have a different outlook and a different skill set than somebody who comes from a more scientific background. So if, if you look at the most uh, modern strength and conditioning coaches, they've gone through sports science courses. They've gone through formal strength and conditioning courses. A lot of people in the old, I say the olden days, um, were often PE teachers who had a, a bent for the strength and conditioning field. And I'm not saying better, I'm just saying different. It It's a different perspective on what you do. You, you, you come from an educator background rather than a purely scientific background. And I think if we can blend those and bring some of those skills back and blend them with the outstanding science that we now know, it could be where the sweet spot of strength and conditioning coaching actually lies. So with the educator, what I'm, I'm hearing, and, and correct me if it's not quite accurate, but there's the psychology of change that the educator brings in where the scientist is a bit more linear with a specific plan in mind? Yeah, I, I think if you've ever been in front of classes of individuals, some who love being there, some who do not want to be there for one minute, you realize that the challenge of organization, the challenge of motivation, the challenge of bringing the people to the activity is a skill that actually is essential for strength and conditioning. Because we often presume in strength and conditioning that everybody is going to come in and give of their best and buy into everything that we do. Nothing could be further from the truth. We have those athletes, but we also have athletes that it's, it's the very same scenario that you face every day in teaching. And it just develops those... The, the emphasis on how you communicate, how you organize, how you structure things. And, you know, I've always seen training programs very much as an extension of academic syllabuses and, you know, schemes of work where you need to be able to do one thing before you move on to the next. And again, I think those skill sets have, have, have left me in good stead to be a coach. And, you know, when, when I look back, I realize that those experiences in teaching have been absolutely crucial to my experiences in coaching. Yeah, I can see that. I, I can truly see that because there, everyone has a style of teaching, but there could be substrata of that style, especially if you understand the student that's in front of you. Now, you can potentially generalize yes. different subgroups and say this person falls into this category and I'm going to attempt to teach or coach utilizing this approach compared to this group or person over here and then there's probably those that are really quite fine-tuned and know how to deal with every individual and not necessarily put them in a box or a group yeah. how is it that you do that um very, very difficult uh, one to answer, I think. And I'm very fortunate over the years to to work with a number of very, very skilled educators. And sometimes I'll even catch myself saying things or doing things. I think I know where I got that from. <sighs> you, you know, we, we, we all borrow um, skills and so on. What also fascinated me was seeing the individual come to one class and be totally motivated and go to another class and not be, and always fascinated by why. What is it that that person could unlock that others couldn't? And that's always been that, that fascination. So if you ask me how I do it, I probably couldn't tell you. But, you know, when you, when you, I think the danger in, in coaching and in teaching is that we will always we will we'll veer towards those who are showing interest whereas quite often it's those on the periphery that we need to, to focus on because they often dictate the way the whole group goes I th I can think you provide any, an example can so, you just something that comes to mind 
in any group, I think you will have those who will do whatever you say. They love it. Okay. You have those who are going to show very little interest. Mm -hmm. But you also have this middle group. Now, if you can pull this middle group towards the former, those ones of real interest, you've got a functioning group. If they fall towards those who have very little interest, you've got a non-functioning group. Mm -hmm. And that those are often the people that you have to convince. This is why we're doing this. You know, giving a reason, giving how it helps them in relation to what they want rather than what necessarily what we want. And I, I think what I've learned is that sometimes the communication of science is not necessarily the, the most emotive and, and the best communication mode to persuade those those critical people who will dictate the way the, that the that the whole group goes. Mm. So how do you assess a group of uh, whether it's athletes or coaches that you are you're educating or, or coaching? How, how do you make that assessment when you first get there? Uh, obviously, it's going to be uh, an ongoing kind of thing. But how do you establish Abs those groups? Abs absolutely. Um, I think if we think with our strength and conditioning hat on of assessments, we're, we're going to look very much at the, the physical assessment that, that, that we would do. Certainly. I think there has to be a level of assessment before we even get to that. Right. And you, you will have seen it with clients who come in. Is this person up for this? Is this person somebody who's who's who needs me to motivate them, or or is this person going to be somebody who is going to come in? They're going to be reliable. They're going to turn up, big, and so on. You can sense that from the way a group walks into a uh, into the gym or onto the field. What's the energy level? Who are the key people who drive that? You, you look at the kind of the subgroups. Who are the, the alphas? Who are the people who are going to lead this? So even before you've started doing anything physical, you've started to take in the nature of this group. And that then guides not just what you do, but how you do it. What, what are the... What do I need to instill into this group? How am I going to act in order to get that? And so on. So it's it's a very informal assessment. Sometimes you will have, you know, if, if it's a sports situation, you will have chatted to, to people who worked with these athletes before, for example. What are they like? Do they take to this? What, 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 what gets them going? What exercises do they like? What exercises don't they like? And so on. We would do it in school. What's this group like then? You know, so it's, it's it's a very similar thing. And I think sometimes we don't pay sufficient attention to that more emotional analysis or kind of the, a social analysis. We tend to go straight into our physical analysis because that's what's drummed into us from, from our scientific education. So are there activities uh some type of yeah team bonding i don't know what we would call it are there pre-activities before the the strength and and conditioning occur that you that you encourage coaches to do to not only suss out the the outliers the leaders the alphas yeah, and so on yeah. um i'll often use warm-up activities obviously we we have we have to get through certain content and we only have a certain amount of time. But again, looking at the type of motivations of the group, can we have, so, so, so sometimes they're a very social group. So that way we can run activities that have a lot of interaction within them. Sometimes they, you know, they, they are a driven 
group there you've you've got to show how this activity is going to lead to to high performance and so on some sometimes you face not not so much with 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 sports teams but um in in school situations and probably in client situations such as you have they're there for a little bit of enjoyment yes so if you've got a group that is there really just to perform they want to win the warm-up may look very very different than a, a group that's there for that little bit of social activity that little bit of fun and it's trying to ascertain the the motivations within the group and that plays into actually the structure of the sessions that we do yeah that i could see how that could be so in my mind i'm i'm kind of thinking about those individuals that don't want to be there uh, I, of course you don't want to ignore them you don't want them to fall away because potentially they could become great athletes they just need the right oh, yes. motivation and oh, stimulation yes. So how do you, because uh, in my head, those are the people that I want to go to to convince them that this is going to be great for them. And I will almost to the point of neglecting all the others, I, I will spend so much time and energy. And I know that's not the, the best approach to take. I want to try and encourage everyone to, to rise up with the tide, so to speak. So how do you draw those, those individuals from that end of the spectrum into the fold? Any, any kind of tips? think ultimately depends on communication um there are normally reasons behind people's behaviors and what we've got to do I, I think as effective coaches is dig as far as we possibly can without obviously intruding there are there are going to be barriers that you know we we don't necessarily want to cross but what is it that is shaping their attitude and their belief in these activities. Sometimes it's just uh, bad prior experiences of strength and conditioning. So, so for example, a lot of people don't like the weights room. They don't find it a comfortable environment. Now, if that's, if that's the, um, dominant feeling within a group i may not start the sessions in the weights room we may go yeah. on the field and do a warm-up out on the field um interesting when i talk to a lot of um soccer teams is that it's often the perception of what strength and conditioning is that is the biggest problem so i typically start with those type of teams with speed and agility work Mm -hmm. Because if I ask most footballers, right, what if I could give you a magic bullet, some magic physical uh, capacity, what would it be? And it's typically speed and agility work. They want most players say they want to get faster. So suddenly I'm on I'm on their side because I'm saying, right. What we're designing this program around is making you faster. Mm -hmm. So that kind of, oh, I thought strength and conditioning was all about heavy weightlifting and uh, heavy squatting and deadlifting. And, and we say, yeah, that's a part of it. But this is where I want us to start. You, it, it, it's drawing that horse to water, isn't it? it it's, yes. it's understanding what their thoughts are and trying to give them an activity that addresses that so that they can say, hmm, this is working. Now, why would I go in the weights room? Well, the idea is that every time you put it to the ground, it has to absorb force, it has to repel force, and we can make it a little bit stronger, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas you, you compare that to, right, we're gonna do some, we're gonna go straight in the weights room and do some lifting. I That's a one-way conversation. Yeah, it's a what exactly. I haven't taught. I haven't tried to get to an understanding of their perspective before imposing what I want to do on them. Brilliant. So I love that, and you can draw in people because 
uh, you're you're continually giving them feedback as to we're doing this because it's yes. going to get you toward your That's goal. And, and everything and relates around that. Giving reasons seems to be a very powerful, persuasive tool. We're not just doing something because we are doing something to achieve this goal. And yes, ultimately, I believe in strength. I believe in strength and power. But I don't have to ram it there straight away. You know, I can achieve gains in strength without even lifting weights in the early phases of training. Mm -hmm. You know, so sometimes we have to kind of put our goals back for the longer term uh, objective of, of, of actually getting somebody to really believe in, in strength and conditioning. I think if we look uh, historically, we'll say that the world of strength conditioning was actually all bold upper caps strength with a 72 font and conditioning was yes, lowercase yeah. and, and maybe a six font. It was so overpowering with strength and conditioning yeah. that and, now and it's starting to balance out. Absolutely. And, and, and if you go back to the original incarnation of it with Boyd at Nebraska and, and all of that, it was a logical thing. You know, yes. it, it was, it, it started with American football. There is no doubt that mass strength power are critical components of American football. Now, if you can, it's, um, if you look at the, the leverage points, if you've got somebody who doesn't lift weights, on a regular basis and you start them on a very simple consistent lifting program they're going to get bigger they're going to get stronger chances are if you don't mess it up they're going to get faster mm -hmm. that's going to transfer perfectly to american football but maybe not perfectly transferring into other sports your, your baseball your tennis and and so on where other capacities are equally as important agreed yeah so, so it, you know in in that original incarnation strength in that big font was totally logical especially when it was already a weakness because people weren't as strong as they could possibly be so the, you know the the first mover advantage that that boy took in Nebraska was hugely successful, and quite naturally people people followed it. But once everybody is at that level, we have to look for different uh, potential advantages. Well, I think and that's where sports science is coming into play to show the the program designer that it's it's more than just the weight room we need to get them dealing with this aspect of athletic performance and this aspect exactly. and so on so it's 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 not diluting if nothing else it's it's spreading and becoming a lot more expansive in the tools we can use rather than a weight plate a kettlebell or a dumbbell exactly and, and it's it, it's it's uncanny in that if i go back um what we originally talked about i 16 i was starting to specialize in rugby mm -hmm. nobody in rugby lifted weights really so I, oh yeah it was it was frowned upon it would slow you down it would it would yeah we had that that myth of 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 um slowing down and, and remember it was still an amateur game so people tended to do their rugby training rather mm -hmm. than the um additional training so i i remember thinking well if i if i want to play at the highest level i'm gonna to have to be stronger i'm gonna to have to be bigger i'm gonna to have to be faster if so i i got into strength and conditioning from trying to address those needs and there was very little information out there mm -hmm. you know uh what was out there was from american football and from track and field and, and yeah bo bodybuilding yeah track athletes were lifting weights american footballers were lifting weights and despite the fact that I was told on numerous occasions I shouldn't be doing it, I continued to do it and I continued to get faster. Mm -hmm. And that was my love 
for strength and conditioning to to an extent that probably by the end of my rugby career I preferred the training part of it than the than the rugby part of it and, and is that because of just the the virgin territory in which you were exploring I, yeah or was it the so. injuries um, was it the, the blunt force trauma oh I, I tried to avoid that as much as I possibly could. There were people much bigger, bigger and stronger than me. You can probably tell from the the shape um, of, of the nose. I didn't. I wasn't perfectly successful in it, but it was the it was the unknown territory. I was fascinated by the difference this stuff was having on me. I was in my own lab, uh, so I would try absolutely everything every training method that came over i would try it out and say mm, i like this no not so keen on this and it was all based on I've, I've got data that goes back years on just very simple jumps sprints lifts and so on and i figured out what worked for me and what didn't work for me and here you are we're sitting at the awards ceremony last july in vegas you get the the election for becoming president of the NSCA, now officially president-elect, which you'll take on the, the torch. And do you have visions, you have aspirations, you've got a, a potentially a, a direction that you would like to see the NSCA heading in. Hopefully it's in a, a, a not too much of a veering of the course that is currently on right now, but how, how about that? If we can just talk a little bit about what do you bring into the table? This is not like a, a a sermon or a pulpit speech or anything like that. But what what are you excited to do there? First, Rocky is it's unbelievable. So I've I've been a member of the NSEA since 1989, since I first heard of it, um, simply to get the journals and get the the information. Um, I did the CSCS as the first very first time it came to the uk and when, when was that when did that that happen? was it must have been late 90s hmm. um i mean it had only been available in the us and i because of my rugby commitments i never had the opportunity to travel to it i retired from rugby in 98 so that kind of the, it coming to the uk at that time was fantastic and then i attended my first NSEA conference in 2000 and it was just this unbelievable experience where the people you'd read about the people you'd seen in the journals and everything were there and you could sit with them listen to them even talk to a few of them and you know this gold mine of information and for my journey in the NSEA, I, I have to thank a group of high school coaches who are my longest and dearest friends in the NSEA because they took this strange talking person under their wing and said, come with us, uh, come and have breakfast with us, come and have meals with us, chat. I was obviously teaching still at the same time. And I learned so much from them. Mm not not necessarily in methodologies but just in structures how they got so many people in and out of the weights room in a single day and i learned the power of good people and you know one of the highlights when i go back to the nsa every year is just to meet the same group of high school coaches people like chet stevenson uh, larry medders scott sally Bruce Harbach, Dave Cater, who are, who are my oldest friends, and I still learn so much from them. So to be president of this organization is absolutely unbelievable. And I've, I feel so honored to have that and thank everybody who put their trust in me in giving me that. In terms of direction, I don't think it's a, it's a, a massive via, but I want to probably re-emphasize the role of the coach how we how we actually apply the brilliant science that we're 
producing because it's it's at that delivery point that everything makes a difference and i want to talk to people not just within the nsea as well but without um to get a direction of what does the nsea need to do to further strengthen conditioning as a real profession that people can come into and make a fantastic living and make a huge difference and and those are probably the the things because um i've been very lucky to see to travel internationally and strength and conditioning is a is a relatively well developed field in the us relatively well developed in the uk but it's relatively new and but potentially thriving in a lot of different countries around the world and i think the nsea can play a massive role in helping develop the profession internationally as well as within within the us i'm thinking japan italy south korea india are these are these the areas you're thinking no, of those are areas that what the nsea already has a presence but i'm thinking more any any area that wants to develop a bigger presence for strength and conditioning the NSEA can assist because I learned simply how much I learned from going to those early conferences, from talking with people, how much trial and error it saved me. Mm -hmm. And it was because I knew about the NSEA. Now, if the NSEA can, can have presence or events in different countries, what it then does is, is provides a fulcrum around which people can coalesce. They can chat. I saw it in Germany. They had the, the global um, conference in Germany. And yes, there was some fantastic information presented by uh, the, the presenters that they had. But just as importantly, it gave the, the German coaches an opportunity to meet each other, to make plans to say what are you doing where are you doing it could we meet up and so on it just plants seeds and those seeds over many years if, if they're appropriately watered will will amount to something so you know i've, I've seen the uk uh strength and condition profession in the uk go from a few random people like myself to a well-established group uh, with strength and conditioning degrees and with many, many sports organizations now employing strength and conditioning coaches. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because within at least the American professional sports leagues like the NHL, the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball and soccer, I, what I'm noticing, especially with the guests that have been on previous episodes here with Zealous, is that a, a lot of the titles are changing within the team structure. Yes, there is a strength conditioning coach, but they're often changing the title to performance director or something of that nature. Is, is that kind of a concern that, that the title of strength conditioning is, is, I won't say fading, it's just morphing into something that's uh, that they feel is more all-encompassing when they say performance director? Um, obviously, there, there, there has to be some level of concern, but I also see it as, as, as a massive opportunity. I remember writing something for the Strength and Conditioning Journal uh, a number of years ago. I think it was the high school column, how to make a strength and conditioning coach indispensable. And... If you look at the knowledge of performance that most strength and conditioning coaches have, it's far bigger than quite often what the, the roles dictate. And by extending our influence, I think we can em emphasize the critical role that physical training has, not just in terms of the physical parts of performance but the impact it has on psychological performance the impact it has on technical performance tactical performance and so on how the environment in which we create impacts training impacts adaptation and so on 
And if you think about it, if, if we were just, oh, he's just the strength coach, we limit ourselves. So I think we need to see this as an opportunity, but we need to emphasize how the, the, the knowledge and skills that we bring make us ideal if these new positions are going to be called uh, different things. Yeah, I guess I mean, if we, if, go ahead. So if we if we go back, we would would we call ourselves strength and conditioning coaches today? I'm not convinced that we would. You know, if 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 you go back to Boyd's initial incarnation of the strength coach, that became strength and conditioning when it was realized that oh my god, we play a much bigger role than just making people strong. But we, we went strength and conditioning just to keep the SC element of it. If we were going to reinvent the profession now, we would call ourselves something, I, I think, completely different, like an athletic development coach or, or, or you know, a performance coach and so on. So I think it's, it's morphing, which is a good thing, but there are going to be a lot of different people with different skill sets mm -hmm coming into that field and we need to be sure to sell what we have in relation to the performance director um and and this is just an observation rather than a uh, something that's concrete but if you're i've seen situations where the performance director is from a more physiotherapy background mm -hmm. And I've seen situations where a strength uh, a performance director is from a more strength and conditioning background. Those departments often look very, very different. They have yes. different underpinning philosophies, which then, you know, make them very difficult in the way that they act every day. Yes. Yeah, I can see that. I, I know of a couple myself that I could just... Uh, give as examples, but I, I could also see the NSCA giving, there's there's so many certifications uh, yes. compared to when we first came into the NSCA, you in 89, myself in 92, and and at that time, it was just CSCS, and then in 93, 94, they came out with the CPT, and now we've got uh, the, the coaches certification, we've got sports science, we've got special populations, there's and the uh, tactical, tactical exactly. exactly. And uh, I could see there being a performance coordinator slash performance director kind of credential that pulls from all of those fields right. in a manner that is, uh, um, yeah, I would say just a an amalgamation of all those things. That yeah. you, for those that are in the professional Olympic collegiate level that are are really coordinating all. The, the staff that's members it. underneath that's them. It. Yeah. Now, whether that looks like a credential, I'm not, I'm not necessarily convinced because I think you will always get such a diverse um, type of person who's going to take that role. So you could get a psycho, you know, somebody who's predominantly a psychologist, somebody who's predominantly a strength coach, somebody who's predominantly uh, a physiotherapist. I think what we probably need to do a little bit better is make us aware of the impacts that those areas have. So again, go back to my teaching profession. I'm probably more aware of the impact of psychology, of pedagogy, than maybe somebody who's coming out with a very traditional sports science background. Mm -hmm. and maybe at a higher level once we've got our basic we, we we need to be looking at a much more interdisciplinary approach to developing the um the performance director where they're aware of the potential impacts and then can exploit specific experts in those in those various fields yeah i, I could see two fields right now that could be 
brought into the fold within the NSCA from my own, you know, uh, bias opinion would be sports psychology, mental skills, that type of thing. Yeah. And, and proper, uh, and nutrition, dietitian, uh, fueling experts of sorts, which is something that has remained kind of separate from, it, it from is. strength and, conditioning. And if, if you think about it as well, the, the way in which we meet keeps us separate so yes yeah we will we will go to the nsea conference or we will go to a perform better summit or, or something which tends to be like-minded people thinking the same way the yeah. psychologists will go to their annual conference nutritionists will go go to theirs. so never the twain shall meet mm -hmm. in instances like that and maybe we need events where we pull these people together it's i'll be there it's it's going to be one of those funny ones where not every session is going to be of interest to us but there could be ones there that actually have the biggest impact on us because oh my god i hadn't thought of that oh and it takes us in a whole different field how we do that i have no idea well you've got a year to learn i got a year to learn <laughs> interestingly i was talking to a very a good friend of mine uh dilip in india and he's uh he, he runs gaio fitness academy and that's something that i've talked to him about is how do we develop these interdisciplinary events where we can, as a coach, we can learn about the latest from the world of psychology, from the world of pedagogy, from the world of uh, behaviorism, etc. You never know. One day. All right. Well, from your lips to reality, let's make that happen. Uh, Ian, I can't thank you enough for, for putting aside some time. Uh, it looks like it's a beautiful day in wales there and it's not bad we do we yeah. as is typical for wales with a little rain this morning but it's it's cleared up this afternoon excellent well i look forward to when we get together again whether it's no, i'm looking forward next to year it. at the conference or or whenever that might be uh i i know that with with my educational path with satanta right now i'll be coming over to the uk or at least to ireland sometime in april i know that you're not really uh, working with Satanta these days, you've got your own course, but who knows? Maybe it maybe will be in the same hey, neighborhood come this spring. Hey, you, you never, never know, dear. Well, I, I can't again thank you enough for coming on. Congratulations! It is an honor to know you and an honor to have you lead the NSCA. And, and I'm looking well, thank forward to you very where much. We go. The, the, Rocky, the feeling is mutual. Um, we only really met each other la at, at the conference last year, and it was one of those situations where. You kind of feel as if you've known each other forever, and yes, uh, and that's the beauty of this uh, industry. I think it's it's full of people like that. Well, it was a great feeling, you know. We mutually felt so. Thank you so much. And that's it for this episode of Zilla's podcast. I want to thank Ian for coming on. You know, anytime we have a conversation, it sure does turn out to be something special. I'm just glad you guys could enjoy it with us. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram at Rocky underscore Snyder. You can go to the website, RockySnyder.com. Find out about speaking engagements that are coming up in the future and the courses that are online that are offered there through the website. And while you're at it, maybe just check out Return to Center, a book I wrote during COVID all about how to centrate the body for rehab, return to play, and strength conditioning utilizing the typical gym setting. Until next week, go make it a good one.